0: Hey, good afternoon out uh, in the internet land, wherever you might be listening to us. This is Gabe D'Armond here on YouTube Live with the 573 Report. We will bring in Mitchell Forty in just a minute. want to remind you, as we do at the beginning of the show every week, it is named the 573 report. Well, partly because Columbia is the 573 area code, but also because our presenting sponsor is 573Ts. Their latest uh, offering that I saw on Twitter is a Missouri hockey. Shirt. I bet you didn't know that was a thing that existed, but uh, they do know it's a thing that existed. And they had a recent dust-up with the University of Kansas, and 573Ts has a shirt out based on that. Um, The guys down at 573Ts will, if something happens related to Missouri sports, they're going to have a shirt out related to that within days if not hours so make sure you check out all their stuff at 573tees.com it is nice outside again so you are allowed to go outside and if you're in columbia and want to check out their actual physical location it's on alley a in alley a between 9th and 10th street in downtown columbia that's about a half block off broadway so go check them out there uh either way wherever you find them twitter um on their website in person make sure to let them know that we told you to go there and buy all of your clothing for the upcoming calendar year that would be much appreciated on my part and uh, it would do good business for their part we now bring mitchell 40 into the show and uh mitch big news i've got i've got hot takes coming so get ready um steve wilkes is leaving to be the carolina panthers secondary coach and here's my take okay Like, it just, I I don't know, I fail to, like, this fails to ignite any great passion in me one way or the other.
1: Yeah, I think that makes you a bad YouTuber. I think that the first rule of YouTube is you need great passion, even if you don't actually believe it. We need the hottest of takes. Uh, I I kind of agree. Um, I think that the first reaction is always like, you know, why is this terrible or why is this great? And and also in the off season, you know, things are magnified because there's just not as much going on. Um, My thought is – I think Eli Drinkwitz wanted him back that next year. I don't think he was pushed out because I think if they were if Eli Drinkwitz was going to make a change, he would have done it a lot earlier in the coaching cycle. I also think that Eli Drinkwitz figured this was a possibility, and that is why he went out of his way to point out that Blake Baker would be the number two on the staff. And I don't know for sure if he'll get promoted, but it seems likely. And I think that Steve Wilkes was fine. Um, but the biggest loss, really, if anything, is probably just the fact that you have to have a third defensive coordinator in three years. I think that, you know, that could be a little bit of an issue. Um, you know, you don't drink did mention, uh, I guess, was it last week we talked to him? Yeah, signing day. He, You know, continuity and scheme is something that he valued. But for the most part, I uh, I, I don't think this, this makes or breaks anything.
0: Yeah, and that kind of leads to a point. I want to be... I want to be clear, like, football is – it's hard. Picking up schemes is not – you know, doesn't just happen in a day, all that. I get it. So I'm not trying to downplay that. But we spent, like, I guess about nine months last year saying, well, they're just trying to pick up the scheme, right? You know who tends to pick up schemes better? Better players who are – like (laughs) – uh, schemes are important. They're, they're not meaningless. But you know the players who execute schemes well, the ones who are athletic enough and good enough to be in the right place to begin with. Like, sometimes it's not they can't figure it out. Sometimes they just aren't good enough to do it. And it's not whether you're running a 4-3 or a 4-2-5 or a 3-4 or a 2-8 or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just, like, sometimes the players aren't good enough. Um, there was semi-lack of talent. But But here's why I just don't really have any any huge takes on this so a year ago almost exactly a year ago the whole attitude was oh my god he got a guy who's been an NFL head coach this is going to be so great for recruiting this is amazing how could we ever be so lucky to have this guy as the defensive coordinator at Missouri and then it was seven weeks of oh my god when are we firing this idiot he has no idea what he's doing and so now I just can't either think well this is the worst thing that's ever happened or well he was obviously pushed out it just it's college football man they'll they'll have another guy be the defensive coordinator they'll run a scheme that's probably pretty similar the guys who are good players were going to be good players under Steve Wilkes they will be good players under the next guy and the guys who aren't very good or just aren't going to be very good no matter what scheme they're in and are probably going to lose their jobs and you're right like that doesn't play well on the internet I could never co-host a show with Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless. I could not be on talk radio because it just like we way overthink all this stuff. Yeah, I generally
1: agree. I do think, I think there's something to, you know, the scheme thing to an extent, because I do think, you know, you were talking about better players make it look better. Like Missouri's players, the same guys at the end of the season played so much better than at the beginning that it wasn't that they physically couldn't do what they were asked early on. Either they, you know, they, they figured out, what they were supposed to be doing or, or what they were being asked to do better or something, there was an adjustment made and I don't think it was, you know, a change in the scheme and I don't think it was a change in their abilities. I think it was just that, you know, the coaches said all year, like they were doing the stuff they were asked to do and winning their one-on-ones and stuff like that. Um, but they were clearly capable of doing it all along. So I, I do think there's something to be said for an adjustment. And I think that, I, I mean, I, I haven't known nothing about Blake Baker and his past defenses, but like, you know, I would think there's a decent chance a good coordinators going to tailor his, his scheme somewhat to what, you know, players are used to. And I don't think that the differences in one defensive scheme to another are typically as drastic as a lot of people think they are. Um, you know, granted, I, I mean, I'm coming to this from a novice perspective. I know there are differences, but I, I, I think that people over overestimate that sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I do think it's funny that, you know, I've seen a few people be like, yeah, man, you know, leaving after one year, like I, I get it, but it's just tough. So tough for these kids. And I wanted to be like, well, like, would you have said the same thing if, if the defense had finished up the season like it did and you wanted him fired? It's like, gosh, that was a terrible defense coordinator. But we, we can't just do this to the kids that have to learn a new scheme in another year and have to have a new different coach. Like, it's part of college football now. Half the players leave too. It happens.
0: Right, and and that's why we have a transfer portal and a one-time transfer exception. But you kind of brought up a point that leads to what I wanted to talk about next. So there's a lot of this, man, the defense was so much better in the second half. Really? Like, okay, so, so I'm just going to run through it. You tell me where this great defense showed up. Was it the team that gave up 28 points to Vanderbilt, which may not have scored 28 points the rest of the year? Was it the team that got pasted 43-6 by Georgia and gave up like 300 passing yards to Stetson Bennett? I'll give you the South Carolina game was good. Um, the Florida game against an inept offense was good. Was it the Arkansas game where they gave up 34 and probably could have been 44? I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Yes, it was better than it was in the first half of the year, but that was literally saying, well, it's better than the worst defense in the country. Like, I I just, all this defensive improvement in this, and I understand off-season optimism, and and I get that this is what fans do, but I, I saw a lot, even when it was happening, of, this defense is getting a lot better and it got better but I I mean that's like saying I got a lot taller and one day I'm going to be five nine instead of five eight, dude, I'm still not going to be tall, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree.
1: Uh, I, I, yeah, it got better for sure. And the the Florida and South Carolina games were good. And like the Arkansas game, I actually thought the defense played fine for as long as it could. It just was on the field every play because Missouri literally couldn't complete a pass. But yes, like I agree at no point in the year. Was it like, Oh, this defense is nasty. They're going to like win us a bunch of games in the sec. Um, I, I agree when you look at if definitely, if you look at last season as a whole on defense, not even close to good enough. And if, if it had happened in reverse where like they had a few decent games and then played like they did for the latter half, no chance. Steve Wilkes sticks around it just because of how it happened. You could say, okay, you know, learning curve. He was new. Players were picking up the scheme, but yeah, if you just look at that season as a whole, it 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 was definitely uh, obviously not very good. They were well well down past 100 in almost all the uh, statistical categories out of 130 fps teams.
0: So I legitimately cannot wait until week three of the season, and Missouri's like 62nd in the country in total defense, and it is just an outright celebration of how much Blake Baker or whoever it is has improved this defense. Thank God we got rid of Steve Wilkes and sent him off to the NFL, and got a. Guy who has us in the mid-60s in total defense against Abilene Christian and whoever else. Um, so, all right, let's take a, a couple of football-related questions, then we'll move on to the other sport that's being played. Uh, Colby says, does Charlie Harbison come back as a full-time assistant? I mean, we were joking about this beforehand. A- it would be incredible because it would basically just – the entire announcement from Missouri would have to be, hey, we said there was a personal family situation – uh, he resolved all that in the last two and a half weeks. He back. Let's go. Right. I mean, yep. Fam-
1: Family's good. Football's more important now. I mean, I so I actually really do think talking to someone that, uh, like, you know, it, Charlie Harbison, I, I, everyone always assumes, like, oh, parted ways, stepped down from family, that he got forced out. I really don't think that was the case. Eli Drinkwitz really likes him, brought him along with him from Appalachian State, made him the associate head coach. I, I do think, like... That that was someone he wanted to stay on staff. So like, yeah, I guess there's a small you know possibility where he you know he says, oh yeah, Eli Drinkwitz really needs me. I'm gonna come back. But I, I do I don't think this is something where it's like, oh Mizzou needs a guy and they're gonna call him back up. I I, I assume that his family situation is still similar and he's going to want to you know do that spend time with them he's also I mean he's pretty old he's in his 60s so he might just be kind of uh you know weaning out of the the football ranks a little or that the all everyday coaching ranks a little bit but yeah I I wouldn't anticipate that
0: well I don't know why you would assume his family situation was similar to what it was all the way back in January Mitch that's a (laughs) that is a huge leap on your end um uh so just kind of wrapping this part of it up, um, like you were saying, there is some alarm to, oh, my God, the world's ending. Drinkwits can't keep anybody. And, like, I don't think there is reason for alarm by any means. And Steve Wilkes wanted to go to the NFL. But there's been a lot of turnover on this staff. And, and I don't think it's reason for alarm. I just think it's at least something to look at and go – I, I don't know. Let's see if this is a deal. Maybe it's just college football. Maybe it's, you know, there's there's probably an individual explanation. I mean, we've kind of gotten the impression that Aaron Fletcher was, was encouraged to look elsewhere. We know all the Barry Odom holdovers were encouraged to look elsewhere. You know, Jethro Franklin, clearly a mistake. Wilkes, I left for a better job, whatever. You can explain everyone individually. But I'm not saying you got to keep every guy around like Gary Pinkle did for two decades. But I do think that it goes back to what we've talked about. The only thing we don't really know if Eli can do is build a program. And I do think people wanting to stick around and passing up other opportunities and, and, and some of that, I, I do think it can play into it. So I'm not in any way saying it's a reason for alarm now. I'm just saying that like I could see a situation where three years from now we look back and go, yeah, maybe we should have put a little more stock into that.
1: Yeah, that's my kind of take on it as well. I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't want to predict doom and gloom just because like a bunch of people are leaving or say Eli Drinkwitz can't hire assistants or he's hard to work with because like we have no idea, you know, we we hardly ever interact with these assistant coaches. Um, I think probably if I had to guess, it is more of just, it's the, you know, the culture in college football now, everyone's moving on all the time. But yeah, it, it is definitely something that we could look back on and say, if, if Eli Drinkwitz doesn't work out here, that's kind of a big reason why. He had no staff continuity, you know, if, if he was replaced and, you know, five to seven assistants every single year. That's a hard thing to do for a young head coach who, you know, especially when you're I, – I would guess it's a little tougher when you're replacing on the side of the ball that you don't coach. You know, if he was replacing guys under him offense, well, the scheme stays the same. He's still calling the plays. He's still generally doing things the same. Probably a little different when you're replacing the defensive staff um, essentially two years in a row. But, uh, again, I, yeah, I, I'm not pushing the panic button on this yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to remember the time I made Steve Wilkes nearly physically ill in a press conference. By asking him yeah. About his, that's identity. right he, he basically threatened to vomit on us he was uh, i don't think he was thrilled about being asked about that three weeks later but we had never talked to him and i thought it was a valid yeah. question so um all right one more football question from kyle not sure if this has been addressed already uh but if deshaun woods has academic issues how will he be eligible at wyoming and not mizzou and uh, the only thing we can say there is we're not sure he will be eligible at wyoming let's wait and see. And we're not sure he wouldn't have been eligible at Mizzou, right? Yeah. I mean, from what I
1: understand, if if he would have been eligible, if he's, if he ends
0: up playing next
1: season at Wyoming, he could have played at Mizzou. It's just Wyoming taking a risk. Mizzou wouldn't take.
0: It's a risk management factor. Like a lot of people don't understand that on signing day, there's like, I promise there are kids in Missouri signing class right now that aren't yet qualified and through the NCAA clearinghouse. But, the coaches know their situations, and they believe that they will make it. Um, in this case, it was a risk that Missouri wasn't willing to take, and Wyoming was, and And it may or may not work out for Woods, and, and we'll see where it goes from uh, from here, but, but that's the situation. Um, AU Stock says, well, I thought we might be talking about a coaching change at Mizzou, but not that coach. So um, that kind of segues nicely into um, – So, I was watching Auburn-Arkansas. It was a really good game. Great atmosphere. NBA players on the the court. Arena record. Uh, You know, Duncan's the game. They shut the lights out. Everybody storms the floor. Eric Musselman rips all his clothes off because that's what happens in Fayetteville when Arkansas wins a game. And then I turn the channel to the SEC Network. I'm like, this doesn't really feel like the same sport to me. Like what's happening here? Yeah, that
1: but that end of the game dunk and the uh, little like twirl under the Auburn player. I don't know if it was intentional, but just incredibly disrespectful. And I mean that as a compliment. I loved it. Um, yeah, t- <laughs> the Mizzou game. I don't know. Like uh, I, I am far past the point of getting uh, really worked up either way about any any Mizzou game because they're quite meaningless at this point, other than just another notch in either the win or loss column that we'll revisit at the end of the year. But it did, it, it felt to me like a bit of a relapse. And uh, I know you touched on that a little bit in your post-game thoughts. It was just, it was like watching a game from a couple months ago where they they settled for a bunch of threes that they, of course, didn't make. Foul trouble for Kobe Brown was an issue. And, like, they hung in there, but ultimately, I don't know, they were an eight-point underdog. They lost by eight. They, you know, for most of the game, you'd say Vandy was the better team. It was just kind of blah.
0: Right, and the problem is being an eight-point underdog to Vandy. Um, So... <laughs> I would like to, I'm not going to name the player here because I feel like that's disrespectful, but there was a running joke on press Row last year that if this guy shoots a three in a game, he should have a hand chopped off. And if he shoots a second three in a game, he should have his other hand chopped off. And then he only can shoot two threes. Like there's no, he's not going to shoot any more threes after that. So would it, going too far to just chop all of their hands off so that they cannot shoot a three would that be extreme in your opinion
1: no i mean i think it makes sense it would make it also harder to shoot twos which is an issue i mean generally play basketball but it might be it might be worth it i mean at least at least make an example um yeah and honestly i will say this like konzo was definitely a little more he was a little more critical after the game than i've seen him in a while you know usually after games it's just like Tough one. We'll learn the lesson. We'll get better. You know, thoughts that we did some good things, not enough. He, he was pretty upset last night, basically saying, you know, I said coming in, we said coming in, we, we need to not settle for threes. And they just settled and took comfortable shots. And the first five, seven minutes set the tone and were never able to really get going and attack. And, you know, he basically said, if you're not going to execute the offense, your play your playing time will be dictated will be affected and uh, that was like i think a not so subtle hint at the point guard who didn't play at all in the second half so i mean like i don't know i i'm not absolving him from blame by any means but i do think it's it's one of these things where you know you, you can get to a, a point in the year and it's like i don't know if guys kind of tuning it out i don't know if you know because Vanderbilt plays defense in a way with 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 their big guys that it was just easier to shoot threes. What happened? But clearly that was uh, that was not the plan going in.
0: You know, when I was most upset in that game, when and I could be wrong on who it was. I, I think it was it was uh, Ronnie DeGray that made the first one, but I don't know. But basically, when Missouri went from 0 for 15 from three-point range to 1 for 16, I was actually, a, like, I legitimately wanted 0 for 22. I was rooting for that at that point. Because it's not like 5 for 25 ended up winning you the game anyway. I Right. Um, 0 for 22 would be cool. 5 for 25 five's yeah. just bad. Yes, yeah, it was bad.
1: And, and also, I will say, too, and I... I get that they shouldn't have settled for so many shots, but a lot of them were just, they were not hard shots. They were open shots that most college basketball players should make. But on this team, that still doesn't mean it's a good shot. We've seen that these guys aren't great shooters. Uh, By the way, when I was most mad last night was... Mizzou did hit that last three, that corner three, to make the score 68 62, which was my exact prediction for the game. I've never gotten one of these right. And then they fouled with like nine seconds left to let Vanderbilt shoot free throws. So I would not be super upset if Deshawn Gordon got his scholarship pulled because I think he was the one who fouled.
0: <laughs> I mean, that seems, I, I want to say that seems extreme, but I'm talking about cutting the whole team's hands off. So your solution seems a little bit better to me. So, uh, okay, I'm going to need you to play like uh, Google Translate here. Here for me i'm gonna put a comment up on the board and i'm just gonna read it sentence by sentence and i'm gonna need you to explain to me exactly what it means here so okay. uh what candy game in person last night i'm mean, gonna are we assuming that means watched vandy game in person that's my guess yeah um they are really baby you got anything here <laughs> they are really bad that's probably okay. there um uh, and yes, they cannot shoot threes. Hundred percent agree. That needs no translation. That is true in every uh, in every angle. Just some showboating and didn't work. Um, I don't know. Was there showboating in that game last? I missed
1: it. Uh, there was nothing entertaining. I'll say that showboating. I feel like supposed to be entertaining.
0: Um, I think he just tells them to play street ball. First of all, I think he doesn't tell them to say, to do that. Second of all, like I think we're kind of making some. I, I I think we could get into some stereotypical uh areas that we don't need to get into. Um, did come back. I assume he's talking about the team, but maybe he means he came back. Maybe Mr. Mizzou Fly 1950 came.
1: Yeah, hopefully he did uh, come back if he went to the game or, yeah, what went to game in person? You watched game in person, yeah. So uh, maybe he just lives at Vandy now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. That those are uh, if if we're interpreting it right, those are all uh, observations. Some of which I agree with, <laughs> some of which maybe not. They they are indeed bad at threes. Uh, they did come back. The game was not super entertaining, and I don't know. I again, I the street ball thing. Like I, he's, I think the coach is trying. I think I mean he benched his his starting point guard for the whole second half in favor of a true freshman. But again it's very easy to then say you know in college well he recruited those guys so it's still his fault and i can't really argue with that
0: right it's all he's the head coach he's the gm he's the president he's the owner well he's not the owner but but you know all of that um we get it it was not great um it just was another game that happened and went kind of the way we thought it was going to go. Um, Todd Julian says, Caleb Brown looked quicker than I thought he'd be. He has to play even though he isn't ready yet. And somebody asked me about Caleb Brown in the mailbag, and I'm, I am I want to be, like, kind of careful here, but he is better as a freshman than I thought he would be. I think it's fair to say he might be the best point guard on this team, right? Yeah, I mean – Probably,
1: yeah. I don't I, like. I think I still kind of think Boogie Coleman is a better college player right now if he could play the position he's meant to be playing. But yes, if, if you're talking about who's the best point guard, I would take Caleb Brown.
0: Now that said, is Caleb Brown a starting point guard on a team in the SEC that competes for an NCAA tournament bid? I just
1: no, uh, not not freshman, not true freshman. Caleb Brown, no.
0: Right, and I'm not sure, junior Caleb, maybe. We'll see where he is in two years, but it's kind of like I I think if Missouri was a good team, Kobe Brown wouldn't have a bunch of 30 and 15 games like somebody has to, you know, if on a good team, Kobe Brown is the third or fourth offensive option and there's no shame in that he's just if he's your clear number one option on offense you're kind of in trouble, kind of like we saw with Tyler Beatty in the football season this year. Yeah, Tyler Beatty had a really good year, and I don't want to take away from that. But he partly had a good year because, like, the offense was getting the ball back every 12 seconds because the defense was giving up a score. And, oh, by the way, they didn't really throw it very well. So that was the way they moved the ball, you know. So kind of like Kim Anderson said a few years ago, you know, somebody's got to score the points. Um, (laughs) So I think, like – I. yeah, Caleb Brown looks a little bit better than I thought he would look, but he's not at all an offensive threat um, yeah. at this point. You know, he's got—I think he's got 15 assists in 155 minutes, which is fine, but it, it, I, I, it says more about the rest of the position, I think, than. It-
1: yeah, that's my thing with him is, you know, he, he does play with more control than any of the other point guards, and he does a decent job of distributing the ball and not turning it over, but he is not a scoring threat at all. And when you're talking about a team that, like, it's not like he's surrounded by a bunch of other guys who aren't. He just has to dish it to him. You're talking about a team that also, at the other positions, doesn't have a lot of scoring threats.
0: That can be an issue. Yeah. Um, Keegan wants to know if you would be the best three-point shooter on Missouri's team.
1: Well, he says, "Where would I rank?" And so I actually saw that, and I'm pulling. I've pulled up the stats, the three-point percentages. I'm putting myself uh, right squarely between Anton Brookshire at 15% and Jordan Wilmore at zero percent for 11th best, or 12th best.
0: So you'd be if above I somebody.
1: Yes, I would be. I think I would be ahead of zero percent.
0: Do you know? And you may know this now because you said you were looking at the stats. Do you know who Missouri's best three-point shooter is? By the numbers? It's Trevin Brazil. Thirty-five uh, percent. That is not phenomenal. Let's just yeah. be honest. Uh, all right, Conzo is going to Willie Mays his players if they shoot a three, drop down and do twenty-five push-ups right there on the floor. I kind of like that. Like if you shoot a three, even even if it goes in, you know, is the Willie Mays Hayes hit a hit a ball in the air and had to do push-ups in the batter's box? I like that. If you sh- if you are a Missouri player that shoots a three, you do twenty-five push-ups while the other team goes the other way, five on four. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I like it even better, actually, if you just because basketball, that's it's harder than baseball. You know, you can't the, you, you impact the next play if you just stop. I say, like, take them out of the game. And at the next media timeout, they're doing it on the floor and like the whole arena can chant as they're doing it. Like they do when the, the mascot does the pushups just to, to score or however many pushups the team has scored in football or whatever. I think that's every every media timeout. We're going to see a Mizzou player doing pushups if they shoot a three.
0: Okay, now we rarely have like breaking news here on the 573 report, but I think it's possible here. We're at least going to have to do a quick Google search after the show because Christopher Turner says, I was looking at Konzo's contract the other day, and there is a clause about how the buyout is 50% less if Sturt got fired by a certain date. I'll be honest. I know I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I just know nothing about this. I'm going to have to go look.
1: Yeah, um, I've read the contract, but it's been a little while. Uh, I, that like vaguely rings a bell. It seems to me like it would be that what Konzo owes is 50% less if if Jim Stark is gone, not what Mizzou owes him. That's just a guess. Uh, we'll definitely look into that, though.
0: Um, Michael wants to know, will Drink get a DC or does he already have one? Like We think Blake Baker is going to get promoted. We don't know that for sure. Um, did Wingo know about the change in left? That is uh you're galaxy braining that one a little bit, Michael. No, I mean that was a month ago and no this Yeah,
1: is- and Drinkwood said that Wilkes was in the you know meetings. He was interviewing the the new defensive assistants like two weeks ago. So
0: um and yeah. Keegan clarifies that contract is if is leaving for another job, not if if it's Missouri's decision. So that saved us a Google search. Um that is good. Um Cam says down eight, had a lineup of Caleb, Gordon, Pickett, De Grey in Brazil, a brutal offensive group. Uh, but like, I, I don't know, what's the good offense? Like Kobe Brown's right. on the floor with this Right, team. exactly. But That's, other than yeah. that, what's good? Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's not like those I mean like those aren't your worst players. It's just missing Kobe Brown who was in foul trouble. So yeah. No, I think the issue is just the the lack of uh, talented scorers on the roster.
0: Right. I th- I mean you could argue, okay, Kobe Brown fouled out, so he's not eligible to be in. I guess you could argue Boogie Coleman over Gordon makes that a better. But Anton Brookshire is not helping it. Yaya Kate does right. not helping it. Jordan Wilmore's not helping it.
1: I mean Davis. Davis
0: can score at sometimes but
1: he's also very streaky i mean when he's get when he's off he's off
0: so overall like it's just again we are spending so much time looking for eight million different they just don't have enough talent and that's on the coach and i'm not removing blame for that from the coach but they just haven't recruited well enough in the last four years to be a good team and we'll we'll see where that goes um so I figured it would mostly be Steve Wilkes and basketball. I don't know, Mitch, is there is there anything else that like we should talk about?
1: <laughs> Not really. I can't think of anything else. Uh there's another basketball game Saturday. I know that. I'm sure we'll we'll get to that point when we get there. But yeah, no. That's that's all I got.
0: I'm a little disappointed at the seven thirty start time. I'm hoping maybe we get a snowstorm that moves it up to two, but it's supposed to be like fifty degrees, so I don't think that's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, I don't like your chances on that one.
0: All right, well, thanks for hanging out. I know you got a big uh, radio doings and such and I got to go uh, talk to Mookie Cooper. So, we'll uh yeah. we'll do all that and talk to you another time. Sounds good. All right, that is Mitchell 40. I am Gabe DiArman. This has been the 573 report brought to you by 573tees in downtown Columbia on the internet at 573tees.com. You can check them out, get anything that you need to get, Mizzou-related, Chiefs, Cardinals, Blues, anything else. Uh, Check them out and um, tell them that Power Mizzou sent you. You heard about it on this show. We would appreciate it. Before you leave this little uh, online chat room here, Uh, Please hit the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're listening on the podcast, which I will post momentarily. We would appreciate it if you would leave a nice review. Uh, I think they do stars and such on the podcast apps, So do that. Much appreciated. We will be back next Wednesday on the 573 Report. Thanks for watching.